Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Professional mountain biker Adam Craig says it's one of the top three places in the universe he's ridden. Where is this magical mountain biking nirvana? It's none other than Brevard, North Carolina, home to Pisgah National Forest and DuPont Recreational Forest. The area boasts over 300 miles of peerless single track, not to mention hundreds of miles of gravel roads, creating a near endless array of routes, terrains, and challenges to explore. Four vibrant bike shops will get you sorted, whether you need gear, service, or a top-notch rental. Top it off with an array of craft breweries, cafes, and gathering spots that have earned Brevard the title as one of the best small towns in America in 2021. It all adds up to a premier mountain biking destination you'll want to experience for yourself. Find out more at explorebrevard.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Anthony Duncan. Anthony is the director of local programs at IMBA and is based out of Johnson City, Tennessee. For those who don't know, the IMBA local program is designed to support grassroots mountain bike organizations through services, education, and mentorship programs. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. Anytime, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So tell us, how long have you been at IMBA and what were you doing before you joined? Uh, I had to do the math beforehand, but I think I've, I've been at IMBA, I think since June, 2013. So somewhere around seven or eight years. Oh, wow. Um, so okay. I started out, uh, with IMBA as a region director. So I covered the, what was then the mid Atlantic region and turned into what we called the Atlantic region. So I covered, uh, nine states in the Atlantic region. And prior to joining IMBA, um, I worked for a local marketing and PR agency uh, for roughly seven years or so, hmm. and also was a volunteer, part of the volunteer leadership of my local uh, IMBA Sorba chapter, Sorba Tri-City. So okay. had, had, some, had some marketing and PR background and, you know, really got interested in, in kind of figuring out how you know, how that world works and how I apply that to my mm -hmm. volunteer work with my, with my local chapter. So mm -hmm. those two worlds kind of collided and, uh, and put me in a good position to do something that I felt was a little bit more meaningful, I guess, in a lot of ways. So, mm -hmm. you know, not just volunteering, but also taking what I had learned both in my professional life and in my volunteer life as a leader of an organization. And, um, and see if I could uh, somehow spread that knowledge around and help other organizations that may have been in the same position that either my community or my organization was in at the time. So, yeah, interesting. When you were the regional director, were you based in Boulder, or were you were you living out in the region that you were sort of uh, overseeing? No, I was living in the region. So I lived in uh, I lived in Virginia, and quite a bit of travel. I was I was gone for probably two weeks, two and a half weeks each month. Oh, wow. You know, traveling to traveling different places to meet with chapters, meet with land management agencies, you know, uh, help with trail projects. So yeah, I covered uh, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and eventually Maine. Oh, wow. And <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of States, but you know, it was, uh, it was a it was a lot of fun and rewarding work. It was just a a lot of work for for one person to to do to cover all those states and kind of be the expert in in everything land management and and everything procurement and everything trail project related. It was it was a lot. Yeah, but it was uh it was it was, it was great while the uh, while the chapter program lasted for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you joined IMBA in 2013. Um, and the IMBA local program launched at the end of 2017, I believe, which represented a huge change for the organization. Definitely a lot different probably than when you joined IMBA. So what was happening back around 2017 that led to the formation of local? 
Well, the local program was really kind of born out of an evolution of what the chapter program actually was. So Hmm. chapter program was a brilliant concept put together where it really bridged the gap between national advocacy efforts and what was happening at the grassroots level. Hmm. So the way that organizations participated in the chapter program was that if you wanted assistance and, you know, wanted to be part of IMBA, then you had to join this chapter program. Okay. Um, and it came, and it came at a pretty high cost and it came at a high cost because the program basically funded the most expensive thing any company or organization can possibly fund, and that's people. Hmm. So, you know, being part of the chapter program meant that your organization got assistance from a region director, which is, um, you know, the job that I had previous when I first came to EMBA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as as brilliant as that program, the idea of that program is and was, you know, the idea that all of these, that these organizations had to fund all of these bodies we really found out that that model was sort of unsustainable. Mm. So we had, uh, at one point, we had, I think, nine region directors, maybe a little bit more around the country. And if we would have had 29 region directors, it still wouldn't have, wouldn't have been enough people to be out there in the, in the community to really do the work that needed to be done. Yeah. And so the program never actually really evolved into anything else. And it just kind of stayed as the chapter program as it was for around 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, so in 2016, 2017, we, we realized that, you know, it just from a, a revenue and budgeting standpoint, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sustainable program to keep as is, mm-hmm. but we couldn't just completely abandon the idea that, you know, we wanted to provide grassroots support for all these organizations around the country. So we really started to rethink, you know, what does that support look like? Mm-hmm. How can we make it so that it's more sustainable so that it's not so reliant upon EMBA and and what we do, but really figure out a way that, you know, the way you make something sustainable is that you have, you know, you have folks take ownership of some things. So really thinking about how we can, instead of providing a person that would do work for organizations and for a region, how do we do some of the work that they can't do, but give them the resources and tools they need to make the work that they can do easy and scalable? So, you know, we've got to, we've got to figure out a way that, that we can help just the startup organizations all the way up to the organizations who, you know, manage six figure budgets each year and have paid staff. Right. So, um, you know, it was a really easy concept when we had a big expensive program that paid for a lot of, paid for a lot of people to be on the ground. But what does that look like when we don't have people on the ground to actually, you know, do some of that work? Mm. So we, um, we connected with a lot of chapters to kind of help us build what the local program ultimately ended up uh, being in its initial year. We threw some ideas out there. You know, we had a lot of open house meetings for organizations to give us feedback. So as we, as we built it and we worked through it, we said, Hey, you know, does this work? Is this something that sounds reasonable? And, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately we ended up with, with the Imbo local program. When we first launched it, 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 do, it didn't look as much as it does right now. But we intended for the program to not remain stagnant, but find a way that we can continue to evolve it and continue to make it so that it's relevant and valuable and affordable for not only us, but also for the organizations that want to participate. Yeah. Well, yeah, hearing your explanation for kind of like why Imba Local exists and, and what that transition was like, I'm connecting the dots with some of these groups that we've been talking to recently, you know, Stemba in San Diego and Sorba and Nimba, all of those groups just within the last few years, it seems like they've been able to hire their own staff and their own executive director and, and things that they didn't have before. You know, they were like purely volunteer driven. And it sounds like, yeah, some of those staff positions that were formerly at EMBA under the chapter program, maybe now have kind of migrated closer to the trails and closer to like where the work is being done. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense now that we see kind of the the fruits of that. If in some way we can help organizations get to that point, then, then that's, that's just amazing. And, uh, you know, we want to continue to, to make organizations as capable and as, as fluent in advocacy and, mm-hmm. and as effective as, as groups like, you know, San Diego or BMA or, you know, any of those groups that have paid staff and, and do a lot of really good work and have these large budgets. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what EMBA Local offers in terms of support. So 
from what I understand, there are two service options, basically. There's chapter services and affiliate services. So let's start with the basic one, affiliate services. What does that include? Yeah, so both services, so everything that's included in the chapter services option or everything that's in the affiliate services option is also included in chapter services. So the okay. chapter services just add a few things. Mm-hmm. But we kind of break it down into into three categories, administrative support, advocacy support, and educational support. And so with the affiliate services, the administrative support that we provide, everything that would make their lives easier, right? Okay. And so um, we offer, uh, we partnered with SimpleTix to provide event management software. Mm-hmm. So organizations that are part of the program, both chapter and affiliate, they have an account with SimpleTix that they can access and they have discounts. It, they, they make it cheaper for our organizations to, to host and, you know, require payment and registration for events. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's cheaper than some of the other competitors out there. So uh, we worked out a deal with, uh, with SimpleTix for that. Uh, we work with the Nicholas Hill group to uh, provide a few insurance discounts and insurance assistance for mm-hmm. organizations that are looking for uh, general liability insurance so those are the two administrative support options for affiliates. Every organization that's part of the program, uh, regardless of their level, gets access to to Imba co-branding so they can use our logo on anything yeah. uh, that they need. They also have access to our Trails Count grant program, which provides uh, trail counters in partnership with EcoCounter to, um, to help communities assess the success and maybe trail usage of, of trails and, uh, and mountain bikers. Also gives both levels access to our Dig In program, which is a program that we launched in partnership with Shimano two years ago. I think it's two years ago. Okay. Where we have a, you know, a pot of money, uh, provided by Shimano and we can, we can take that pot of money and match donations to projects uh, that are hosted on our website. So it's kind of a peer to peer online donation, hmm. uh, software that, that we had created specifically for our website. So. We're currently wrapping the dig in this campaign up in Q1. So, uh, tomorrow, I think is March 31st. I don't know when this is going to air. <laughs> the March 31st, of course, is the last day because each project is, uh, is posted for an entire quarter. Okay. Um, but we had nine projects. Um, we've run this now for a little over two years and, uh, we've raised roughly a half a million dollars. We've had about a half a million dollars of leveraged funds from those projects, uh, locally. Um, a bunch of those projects are completed now, uh, but but both uh, both levels have access to the Dig In program, which is basically a grant program. And then uh, both both levels have access to everything that we do educationally. So all of our online learning tools, webinars that we do, they have access to all of those. We just hired a uh, an education coordinator, so um, he's he's doing a really good job of putting together like a full curriculum. So now organizations will be able to kind of assess where they are in the advocacy and trail building world. And then from there, be able to get some online, some online learning tools that will help them advance to, to the next thing that they need to know. So, mm-hmm. so both of the, uh, both of the levels have access to that. Okay. So the chapter services, a couple of additions to the chapter services are really focused on the administrative support. So we do uh, membership acquisition and retention for chapter level organizations. So we have an entire database and uh, membership platform that chapters can basically um, have folks join their organization. And we're, we're in the process of completely overhauling that. So, or, so members can join more than one organization. It also comes with some additional reporting tools uh-huh. uh, for organizations that are, that are using the software. We partnered with Golden Volunteer to provide volunteer management software. Um, so that software comes with um, with a mobile app um, that has geo geofencing capabilities and automatic check in and check out and all kinds of really cool features. But uh, but yeah, that's a that's a really powerful piece of uh, a really powerful tool that we launched uh, early in 2017. Hmm. And organizations that are part of the chapter option can utilize our 501c3 general filing. So if they don't want to go through their own process of, of uh, becoming a 501c3, mm-hmm. then they can fall under our umbrella, saves them, it saves them a filing each year. And um, 
saves them, especially startup organizations, it saves them some time and, and money and resources. Yeah. And then organizations that do have paid staff, you know, we have a full HR department within EMBA and they can utilize our HR department for, um, for anything that they need HR wise. So if they're going to hire staff and they don't want to necessarily deal with, uh, payroll services, uh, we have in-house folks that can deal with that and, and, uh, we can help organizations either get started with, uh, with hiring staff or, you know, continue to keep them, uh, in within our payroll system. Okay. But yeah, we, and organizations that are hiring staff, you know, we, we, you know, if they want, to, if they want to run some interview questions by us or maybe some candidates by us, you know, we're always, we're always available to help them out with, uh, with the, with the process from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that is pretty much it as far as the differences between the two. Okay. But the cool thing is, is since there are two kind of two options, you know, we can always, we can modify any one of them. Uh, we can, we can add things to it. We can take things away. We can move things around as needed. So, you know, we've, we've made it so that it's an extremely flexible program and we can modify it, you know, as times change, as organizations change and their needs change. Um, we definitely didn't want it to, to kind of be a one size fits all. We wanted to make it so that it's malleable. Yeah. Yeah. So are there certain aspects of the program you think that the, the clubs are finding more valuable, like, or, are a lot of them coming to you because they first need that education piece where, you know, they want to learn about trail building and advocacy, or is it the administrative stuff where they're just like, ah, we don't know how to deal with this. We don't want to deal with this. Like you guys take it. Like, is there, is there one like key selling point that people tend to, to value the most? Uh, well, not really. I mean, everybody, every organization comes to us at a different place, uh, in their, in their life cycle and mm. a different place and, and how they're working within their community. You know, there are a lot of organizations that are just like, Hey, you know, we want to do membership, but we won't, you know, we don't want to have to have a volunteer make sure that, you know, that the premiums are fulfilled or, mm-hmm. you know, have to have to pay for the software year after year, or, you know, right. we may not have a, we may not have a volunteer that wants to do it two years from now, but we've got somebody that's stoked to do it today. So, you know, that's, uh, that becomes uh, pretty important to a lot of groups. And then some groups, you know, they just want some relevancy. They, they say, Hey, you know, if we had the Emba name stamped on what we were doing, mm. then, you know, our municipality or our County would, would take us a bit more seriously. And, if we're, if they're going to stamp our name on anything that they do, we want to provide them with as much guidance and assistance as possible so that, mm-hmm. you know, if they are, if they are meeting with county officials, state officials or whoever, that we can help, the, we can help guide them in their strategies and, and help them um, accomplish whatever it is that they need to do. Yeah. You know, but then, but then some groups, you know, they just, um, they just want to have a way to support EMBA and, and what it is that we do. So, you know, the affiliate option is a, is a great option for that, you know, groups that just really like what we do. And they've traditionally been what we used to call, what did we call it? I think they were club memberships where clubs could, you know, join at whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the rate was and, and say, Hey, we're, a, we're an EMBA club. But, um, but we kind of rolled that into the affiliate option because we, we figure if you're going to, if you're going to give us money, you should give it, we should give you some resources in return for that. Right. So, you know, you know, may, you may like the things that we do and want to support us, but in return, you know, we definitely want to make sure that, that we're supporting, supporting them as well. So, you know, what, what organizations find valuable is, you know, it, it runs the gamut. Hmm. The, the dig in program and the trails count program have been huge for Imbo local. Mm-hmm. So just those two programs alone have provided a lot of support and a lot and have generated a lot of interest in the program just because they're both really uh, easy ways. You know, the barrier of entry at that point is fairly low mm. and, but the returns are, you know, they're are exponential compared to what the investment is into it a lot of times. Yeah. So, you know, just continuing to add value and continuing to, to make things, that that organizations find useful you know it it could be any number of things that we offer yeah you mentioned uh advocacy education and resources and things how much of what imba provides through the local program is just that is information and sort of how to's versus actual like assistance in advocating at the local level well what we found over the years is 
a lot of the assistance we provide, it can be the same assistance a lot of times. So we may have one organization contact us and say, hey, we need help with this one thing. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, there's another group that comes and says, hey, we need help with this one thing. And we're like, oh, we, you know, we had, we did something like that, similar like that a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So while we, what we're in the process of doing now is, you know, with, along with our education coordinators, really understanding that there's a lot of overlap in the needs of organizations. We still do some, you know, we will still help an organization with some grassroots efforts, mm -hmm. but using the work that we do as examples and as templates for other communities and other organizations to kind of follow along so that they can, uh, so that they can replicate it. So that we don't necessarily have to be there for everything. You know, we can provide them some guidance and some tools and get there. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, there might be some organizations that, that definitely do need some support from us as far as mm -hmm. advocacy goes. You know, a couple of examples of that is we just had the Cincinnati Off-Road Alliance uh, contact us because they have um, they have a request in with the state of Ohio for a budget amendment to help fund a couple of trail projects, uh, bike park projects in uh, mm -hmm. in the Cincinnati, in the greater Cincinnati area. And so... Cora did a lot of the legwork to put together, you know, what the request was of the of the state legislature, recommendations on what the comments should be for folks that wanted to comment and support mm -hmm. the uh, the budget amendment. They collected the vast majority of the legislator information that that folks needed to contact, and then worked with Hallie Fernando and within the local team to put together an action alert to where we sent, you know, we sent an action alert out to you know, to this geofenced area around Cincinnati mm. so that we could help them garner support for their project. So, you know, again, it's, you know, that is something that's directly related to advocacy on the ground, but we can turn that into an educational opportunity mm. where some groups may not understand that you can ask the state legislature for projects in your community if they, you know, if they're, if they, you know, meet certain criteria or they set some sort of precedent or, you know, it might be something new and, you know, as far as uh, trail experiences go. So, you know, a lot of organizations may not understand that that's possible or, you know, if they do understand that it's possible, where do you start and how do you gain the support locally for that? So now we have an example that we can that we can roll over into that and say, you know, here's some steps that you can take to get it to this point. And then here is where we can fill in and support this project at a grassroots level. So it's not us actually coming in and, and doing all the work and, you know, right. going to the state and asking for the budget amendment. It's us saying, hey, here is a way that you can do it. And then if you need assistance along the way, we can help you. But you are the knowledge expert locally. You're the knowledge expert when it comes to your state, your community, your project. Mm -hmm. So having it come from them. It, it just, it has a lot more weight to it, mm -hmm. but we can definitely help them along the way. So, you know, we're always looking for those educational opportunities and those opportunities and, and ways that in a way that's beneficial for everybody that doesn't, you know, they're not taking up a bunch of time, you know, trying to figure out, well, who are all the contacts in the area? You know, we've got a bunch of contacts that they don't have. And so they can lean on us for, um, for that support. Right. Right. I mean, it sounds like that, model is much more scalable, like you're saying, where it would take a ton of people and a lot of time to to go and assist in all of these situations. But if you can kind of provide the guidance and the case studies for others to use, they're able to do that. And also, like you said, there's legitimacy in them being local folks advocating for a local issue. I think a lot of times as mountain bikers, we we tend to think like, big where, you know, like, oh, there's this bill before Congress and like, this is going to affect mountain bikers all over the country. But like even state level stuff is probably not as common as just your county is thinking about whether there should be trails in a park or your city or, I mean, even the, the forest service, you know, my understanding is a lot of those are regional. And so it's not like, you know, you need some international national group going to these organizations is, is going to come from the grass grassroots level. And so, yeah, it sounds like that's really effective. Yeah. So much happens at the state level that has so much influence on what happens locally in your community. We just did a, um, the RGA team, I think it was last year, had a webinar on federal funding. So, you know, what, what federal funding is available and how do you access it and all that. And 
you know, one of the key components to that is your state's comprehensive outdoor recreation plan. You know, there are a lot of groups that have no idea that their state has an outdoor recreation plan. And in order <laughs> yeah. to act, and in order for their state to participate in the recreational trails program, they have to have an outdoor recreation plan. Hmm. And that plan in, in most states is put together by some sort of state trails advisory council or recreation advisory committee, something along those lines. And they're required to meet, you know, periodically. And that's where they determine what the what the priorities are for outdoor recreation in their state. Mm. So if mountain bikers aren't at the table for any of those discussions, then a lot of times those mountain biking projects don't make it into those. They don't make it into those reports. Ah, yeah. And so the more the more boxes you can check for your project when it comes to state funding or federal funding, the more boxes you can check that relate to that outdoor recreation plan, then the higher chance of your project getting funded by either the state or or some other you know federal program that distributes dollars to the state. Um, so you know that has an effect on your on your municipal trail projects. That has an effect on your county trail projects. And so um, you know having some focus and some understanding on what higher level advocacy means locally. Um, you know it's not always Forest Service us doing work with the Forest Service, although that does provide some opportunities to to set some precedent when it comes to forest management planning or you know, or bills or anything like that. But there's so much that mountain bikers can do at the state level that would have a huge impact on what happens locally. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you bring up a good point too, about how it is so complicated and there are a lot of things that you need to know as an advocate. And, you know, a lot of these groups, they are volunteer led and there's turnover and there's, you know, every couple of years you get somebody new in there and, and having, Imba local as that resource that's like has that continuity and says, look, this is, we have all the information you need here. Like, let's get, let's get going with it. So have you seen an uptick in new local groups forming since the pandemic began? I don't think we've seen an uptick in new groups forming. There are always new groups forming and we get requests all the time for groups that are just starting up and like, Hey, where do we start? Or, you know, we're, we're a social group and we need to, we need to be a little bit more, advocacy focused. Yeah. I get those emails myself too. People email me and they're like, Hey, you run single tracks. You know, we got some guys and we want to build some trails. Like, what do we do? Yeah. Send, send them my way. We'll help them out. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but I, I will say that one of the trends that, uh, that I've noticed in the past couple of years is, you know, especially since the pandemic is, um, is that groups are just, they're having challenges keeping up with the demand for trails and everything that comes along with demand for trails. You know, the, you know, they need to increase not only the number of trails that they have, but the pace of the trail building, they need more access to land so that they can build more trails. And so we're seeing requests from groups who haven't necessarily been directly part of the Imba family Mm -hmm. that are coming to us that want us to, you know, help them navigate something so that they can capitalize on some opportunity that they have Mm. Or, you know, they may just want to up their game to play a bigger role in trails in their community. We've had social groups that, you know, they just existed as a group, groups that get together and ride and may have some, sit around and have some beers occasionally. And it's just a social group. But mm-hmm. now they see the need to be more directly involved with their community and the trails planning and the trail development process, especially since more and more users are now out on the trails, not just mountain bikers. So they're wondering how they navigate the process of shared use trails and shared use systems Mm. so that, you know, as usership increases, that it doesn't cause, you know, it doesn't cause any social issues or any, you know, potential environmental issues. Mm -hmm. And so it could be that, or it could be a group that is well-established, but they have this bike park project that fell in their lap and, you know, (laughs) they're looking for planning funding and, you know, we've got a program you know, our trail accelerator grant program helps with planning for, for trail projects. So, you know, they're reaching out to us for a number of, for a number of things, Mm -hmm. but we have seen an increase in organizations that contact us mainly because the demand is so high and they're, you know, they're treading water to to try to keep (laughs) up with it a lot of times, which is, which is a good problem to have. They want to manage growth just like we do. And it it can be challenging sometimes. Mm, Yeah, definitely. 
Well, uh, it seems like lately some of the groups that decided to drop their IMBA association, say five, eight years ago, are starting to come back as local affiliates. What do you think is driving those groups to come back? What is it this change that that finally makes sense to them? Um, well, I think specific, you may you may have to ask them specifically. But <laughs> <laughs> what's weird is a lot of times it's it almost sounds like it's about money, and I can't believe that that that's it. That it was like oh, it was just too expensive. I mean, that seems like kind of a an easy excuse, but I, I don't know. Maybe that is it. It's generally not about the expense, but it's about the value that that your dollar, you know, that you place on that dollar, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we we get it. You know, budgets are budgets are tight. Our budget's tight. Every you know, if you're a nonprofit right. organization, you've got a you've got a tight budget. We completely understand that. And you know, that's one of the reasons when we when we formed local that we wanted to make it as accessible as possible to as many mm-hmm. organizations as possible. So you know, we wanted to create the affiliate option as again, you know, a lower barrier of entry into the Emba family, but you know we've got we've got a, a great team of people here uh, at Emba now, and you know we just we focus on just doing good work. Hmm. You know if if we do good work and we show the value, then more organizations and more communities will place value in what we do. Mm-hmm. So what what they determine that value is, you know, is entirely up to the individual organization. But, you know, I think that that what we've built over the past, you know, five, six years is, you know, not only is it sustainable, but it's it's become very effective. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, organizations just they're just seeing value in in us. And, you know, they want to they want to support the work that we do, but they just want to do it. You know, they want to do it in their own way. They want us to meet them where they are. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we 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 have an option. We have a we you know, we have a way to do that. So again, I just, I, I want to, I have to give credit to, you know, everybody at EMBA who just continues to do the work day in and day out, regardless of, of what the situation is at any given time, you know, mm-hmm. 2016 and 2017, it was a challenging time for the organization, Yeah. but, you know, we continued to move forward and tried to, you know, continue to try to keep our, our focus on mountain biking and, and what good we could do mm-hmm. with whatever resources we had at the time. And so, you know, we, we've come out of that in in a way that I think, you know, I think those of us who are optimistic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> saw it in some way, but the, you know, having, having the leadership that we have, having the team that, that, that we've, that we've got in place, um, you know, it's just, I, I think that, you know, we've only scratched the surface and the value that we can offer uh, to communities and non-bike advocates. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing those groups coming back and, and hearing, you know, specifically from these leaders that, that it is working for them. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge and, and says a whole lot about, you know, the effectiveness of the program and the way that it's set up now. Yeah. Exactly. So what are some examples of IMBA local groups who have found recent success and, and how, how do you define success? I mean, I guess that's the first question is like, what, what does it look like to have a successful mountain bike group? Every organization has their own, has their own vision for what they expect their community be and, and to be and what they, what they want to get out of, out of trails for their community. But we try to highlight uh, as many projects as possible, you know, success is, you know, making trails better in your community. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, there are ton, you know, we, I think we have two around 220 organizations now that are part of the program. And I think they all have their successes in some way, mm-hmm. but you know, a couple of them that we can probably highlight is um, there was a project in, uh, in uh, Alito, Texas with the Weatherford mountain bike association called the pit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen us uh, post about that, but there's a video coming out that uh, that the that uh, the Weatherford chapter made, and it's a it's a beautiful project. They they took this completely abandoned and forgotten basketball court that was adjacent to a trail system, mm-hmm. and they've made this beautiful you know beginner skills building bicycle playground out of it. Yeah. And just the story behind how they've engaged the community and not only helping support it uh, monetarily, but also, you know, they used they used a local artist for the signage. So all the signage is kind of uh, comic book based and, you know, it's really easy to understand. It's fun to read. It's fun to see. That's probably one of my favorite projects uh, as far as a bike playground goes, just because, you know, that was a full grassroots effort. They utilized the dig in program to help fund part of it. Hmm. And, um, you know, the leadership there, uh, Larry Colvin, 
we call him LC. Uh, he's just, uh, he's a fantastic guy and just does so much for that community. Hmm. Uh, so they, they call it the pit. You know, we, we've got some information that, that you know, a video that's coming out about it, but I think we did a post about it on social media, uh, a week or so ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's one we're featuring, uh, tomorrow. Well, it'll yeah. be after this podcast is out, but yeah, we've got it in our, <laughs> our, uh, monthly trail roundup. Um, yeah, looks really awesome. That, yeah. It's such a, it's such a great project. But, you know, another another project that uh, that's really kicking off is the Walden Ridge project in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hmm. Sorba Chattanooga, you know, Les Warnock and the folks out there, they've done so much work to get that trail project to where it is. And, you know, as far as groups that have used EMBA and all, all of our resources, they have definitely, you know, come full circle in everything that 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 we've been able to do for that project. They applied for a trail accelerator grant, got it. So that was what, uh, that's what helped fund the plan for the, for the, uh, for the trails. Cool. Uh, trail solutions did some building out there. They submitted a dig in, uh, grant for it. And I think they raised like $12,000 through dig in for wow. the project. We did our, you know, we did our EMBA company retreat in Chattanooga to check out the trail project. Oh, cool. And they're working, I believe, with a land trust on developing the trails. And then, you know, the, the land trust will, will eventually, uh, 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 the ownership will change to, I think the, the city of Chattanooga. I could be wrong about that, but, but I mean, that trail project, you know, it's, it's really unique in that they had to, you know, there's some really cool bouldering areas. So they had to figure out, you know, how do, how do folks who want to boulder get to that area? How do folks who just want to ride cross country trails get from top to bottom and around the trail system? You know, what, where can we put gravity trails and how do they interact with, you know, with the rest of the trail system? And if people want to shuttle the trail system, they just want to, you know, shuttle to the top of the trails and ride down. How does that work? So um, it's become that project has become this kind of model for how do you incorporate a lot of different uses into a small area, mm -hmm. but make it so that um, so that each user that, that shows up there and uses those trails has an experience that's unique to them. Mm -hmm. And they have opportunities to where it's just them experiencing the trails as, you know, as a hiker wants to experience the trails or as a boulderer wants to experience the trails or how a mountain biker wants to experience the trails. So, you know, we was part of a trail project several years ago locally and Paul Stahlschmidt with the uh, Northwest North Carolina chapter used the term, he uses the terms concurrent use and adjacent use. Mm -hmm. So I've been using those ever since. Uh, so <laughs> kudos to Paul for uh, advancing my vocabulary in the world of trails. Um, but they, they've, they've done a really good job in Chattanooga of understanding where the concurrent use can happen and where the adjacent use happens um, and keeping everybody happy and keeping everybody, you know, in, um, in within an experience that they expect. Right. Yeah. The, the boulders don't want to, you know, take, 500 switchbacks to get to their boulder but the mountain bikers do want all those switchbacks we want to like stretch out our trails and stuff so yeah that's another one of those things that local groups you know it's your first time building a trail or laying out a trail like you don't you don't think about that stuff so yeah that's awesome yeah provide that resource so we kind of touched on this earlier but local trail advocacy groups in places like vermont and california are starting to band together to work on state level mountain bike advocacy. Do you think this is sort of a natural evolution in mountain bike advocacy? Like, is this the way we've always been doing it or, or is this like kind of pushing the advocacy to kind of to like a more local level or a level where it just makes more sense? It is an evolution. And I think it's a, it's a much needed evolution. Hmm. I've got a, a story about a, an experience I had in Pennsylvania when I was a region director. Some of the folks listening to the podcast may have heard it already, but they're going to listen to it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I, I covered nine states when I was a, uh, when I was a region director. And mm -hmm. so I was involved in a lot of those state trails advisory councils that helped develop SCORPS. And in particular, I was, uh, I was helping with an effort in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania has the Pennsylvania Game Commission mm -hmm. and they're one of, one of the, if not probably the largest landowner in, in the state of Pennsylvania. Mm. But they're also the only, they're also the only private wildlife management, uh, organization 
uh, in the country. So they're privately run. Um, so if you ask, if you ask, uh, trail users, they might, they might say they're pseudo privately run just because they get discount, you know, they get the, they get real estate, uh, breaks, tax breaks and things like that. But mm-hmm. the, uh, they own, you know, a million or so acres in the state of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and mountain bikers have no access to the single track that exists on any of those lands. Oh, wow. And so uh, I worked with a, with a several chapters back in 2014, 2015, something like that on a proposal to the Pennsylvania Game Commission so that we could explore the idea of where would it make sense for mountain bikers to have access on, on those lands and where, you know, mm-hmm. not only where, but when, you know, because hunting seasons and things like that. Right. So I went before the, the game commission with this proposal and, you know, I, I went through the whole spiel and the, uh, I think it may have been the executive director of the game commission after I finished my, my, I don't know, five, 10 minute presentation looks up, you know, it's kind of silence for a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds. And he says, uh, he says, so what part of Pennsylvania are you from? <laughs> and, you know, I lived in Virginia at the time. I didn't live in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so immediately I realized that he asked that question to kind of discredit, right. you know, why I was even there. And, you know, why, why should we listen to this guy that's that, you know, his taxes don't help pay for any of this. You know, he's not hunting. He's, you know, he's not even a Pennsylvania guy. So one of the lessons that I that I learned from that is that, you know, for you know, and again, I've mentioned it earlier is that, you know, they want to hear from people in their state. They want to hear from people who actually have a vested interest, uh, in what happens at those levels. And so not only that, but again, you know, having mountain bikers involved in those comprehensive outdoor recreation plans and helping determine what types of state funding and how much state funding goes toward mountain biking trails, like all of those things are, are so important. And if, if mountain bikers don't have a unified voice at that level, then, you know, they're really just kind of whack-a-moling a lot of these things, right? So they're like, Hey, you know, well, we don't get, we don't get state funding for trails in our state park for mountain bikes. Well, you know, are mountain bikes considered, you know, a priority in your outdoor recreation plan? Are mountain bikers actually, are they coordinated and, you know, do they, do they agree on certain things that mountain bikers should have and, you know, mountain bikers should, should be able to do, uh, in, in, in your state. And a lot of the times, you know, we get a, we get a no to a lot of those questions. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, when, um, when CAMTB formed, I was out in California back in 20, 2018, 2019 and, um, you know, met with the, with the advocates out there when, when that group was first forming. And one of the big challenges they have in California is California state parks. Mm. And so they understand that they're going to have to have a unified effort. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to go at this with, with a lot of, a lot of coordinated ammunition. And the more that, that organizations within any given state and region realize that, and the more of these statewide organizations or regional regional organizations that we that we can put together, mm-hmm. then the more effective not only their work becomes, but also our work becomes. Because then, you know, that that path, that linear path that we like to see from from federal from federal policy all the way down to the local level, that then starts to make even more sense, right? right. So whether we're working on RTP or LWCF or EMTB policy at the, at the national level Mm -hmm. that all sets precedent all along the way, all the way down to the local level. And so we never really had a way to address state level advocacy outside of region directors Mm -hmm. and region directors that were in my shoes just didn't have the time or the resources to tackle every single state that we were in charge of. So, so again, you know, that, that region director program was unsustainable, Mm -hmm. but if we can, if we can help these organizations band together, regardless of what it looks like, it could be, you know, it could be a standalone statewide organization that all these organizations are a part of. It could be its own 501c3. Yeah. It could not. They could just, you know, they could just meet a few times a year and, mm-hmm. you know, name somebody to represent them at the state capitol or in these, in these state efforts. And, but at least they have some sort of, you know, some sort of agreement or some sort of, of pathway to where they can actually advocate for the things that affect all mountain bikers in the state, not just whatever happens in their backyard 
And so we've been able to, you know, we've been able to work with CAMTB and getting and getting their organization off of the ground. Mm-hmm. The state of Ohio, I was in Ohio several years ago to to help them do some initial planning and some initial brainstorming around a statewide organization. Mm-hmm. I think they're in the process now of actually forming a a, a statewide nonprofit that those organizations will be a part of. Mm-hmm. Sorb is a great model. Sorb is regional, of course, but, mm-hmm. but the model that they have is, uh, is, you know, could easily be replicable. Mm-hmm. You know, the state of Virginia has a, has a really good, uh, group of, uh, mountain bike organizations that, that talk on a regular basis. So that is, I think that's definitely the next evolution in, in what the local program could, could be and, and, and what mountain biking advocacy could be. Cause, you know, again, so much happens at that state level and right. um it's just it's just amazing that um that mountain biking has gotten as far as it has without without being involved at that level um but you know imagine where it could be once we you know once we get that puzzle piece you know put into it so right yeah yeah so just for my clarification so all of that stuff that currently exists or, or may exist in the future, that's under IMBA local. That's where that would fit. Or I've also been reading, maybe I saw it on the IMBA website about IMBA regions. Is that something different or is that part of local or is that an old thing? No, the regions is exactly that statewide coordination, the regional okay. coordination that we're talking about. Um, and we baked into the program that, you know, we that we're not going to have region directors. So we need to find some way to fill that void. And if we can provide some incentives for organizations to, to collectively work together and provide assistance and, you know, maybe some resources that organization that encourage organizations to work together, then we should, we should definitely bake that into the program. So groups that are part of the chapter program or part of the chapter level of the program, Mm -hmm. if their state is part of, you know, they're participating as a, uh, as a region or, or a state level organization or coalition, then, you know, we provide membership processing discounts, Mm -hmm. um, so that they can, you know, so that they can actually contribute more, more of their dollars or more of their resources to that statewide effort. We can, uh, you know, I helped, I worked with the, uh, Ohio groups to do some strategic planning, some initial strategic planning. So mm-hmm. if they're on the fence about it and they, you know, they don't necessarily know where to start, you know, we can definitely show up, help them work through those initial planning stages and get them to that next level. You know, we can do, there's any number of things that we can do to help facilitate that process. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned when you were talking about those statewide organizations was this idea of like, presenting a unified sort of like we're mountain bikers in the state. Like this is what we want to do. And I don't know, that's, that's got me going off on this tangent about like, like our mountain bikers unified right now. Do you see that as a frustration or a challenge where, you know, it seems like there is a good bit that like we don't agree on, like in terms of e-bikes or I don't know, I'm personally frustrated. We did a podcast with Stimba and, there were several comments from people who were like, I don't really like what Stimba's doing. You know, like, I don't agree with the things that they're doing. They're not building the kinds of trails I want. And, you know, plenty of other people on the other side saying, well, I, I think they're doing a great job. So like, what is that about? Like, is that a big problem that, that we're not able to like agree to disagree and be like, we're mountain bikers. Like, let's all kind of unite around these key issues or. Or is that just like, is that just America right now? I don't know. <laughs> so it's a big question. It's a big loaded question too, perhaps, but a macro concept versus a micro concept. Yeah. Huh? I don't think they're mountain bikers. Every mountain biker is ever going to agree on, on everything. You know, every, everybody's kind of got their own flavor. Everybody's got their own idea. If anything, if we just had, if every mountain biker had an understanding of what the landscape is, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're talking about Stemba and, you know, some mountain bikers don't like the trails that they're building. Right, right. Well, you know, they may not have a land manager willing to build the types of trails that, you know, that those riders may want, or it just may be that, you know, the opportunity to, to build something else was there or, you know, um, so it's, and a lot of times, you know, advocacy, Everybody likes to see the trails, you know, seeing the trail built, being on the trail. That's a physical thing that you can see. You can watch it happen in real time. You can go one day, they're starting to build the trail. You can go a week later and there's, you know, 
a thousand feet of trail built, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But what is really hard to convey and what is really hard to, to really put, um, put a value on and to quantify is all of the work that took to get to that trail being on that, to that, you know, to that shovel or McLeod or machine, whatever it is that digs into the ground. There is so much work that happens before you ever get to that point. And it's easy to say, well, you know, this trail is not my flavor, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it's definitely somebody else's flavor. Yeah. You know, it might be a beginner trail, but that beginner trail is going to get a bunch of people into mountain biking. It's going to get them to fall in love with riding a mountain bike in the woods. Right. It may not be, you know, the most fun trail for an advanced rider, somebody that, you know, that wants to go out into, you know, Pisgah National Forest and shred some old school fall line trails. But those experiences are important. They're important to the sustainability of mountain biking. They're important to the culture of mountain biking. And, you know, a lot of people put a lot of work into making that happen. So, um, so I think just having a better understanding of, of just how tough a lot of these issues are to deal with, you know, you mentioned e EMTBs, you know, that again, that's not an easy subject to deal with, you know, it's this <laughs> right. gray area, it's this gray right. area that, that, you know, people really want to be black and white a lot of times. And, and it's not, you know, it could be e-bikes, it could be one wheels, it could be RC cars, it could be, you know, all kinds of things that you can use on a trail. Right. Uh, but right. you know, any land manager is going to have to find a way how to, you know, how do you manage those? Mm -hmm. And until you figure out how you can manage those and what the impacts are, you know, who knows what, what, you know, what could be done on a trail or, or what types of uh, folks could have access to a trail. So it's, um, it's just, it's it, a lot of work goes into it. And, and I just have, I've got a lot of respect for any organization that does that kind of work. And, you know, and they, they may get a lot of flack for it from folks in the community, but I've been there, you know, I, I fell in love with the, with kind of the quote unquote unsexy part of it. You know, um, I, I actually enjoyed figuring out, you know, how does the city council work and how does procurement work at the federal level? Like it's wow. interesting to me for some reason. <laughs> That's rare. I haven't built a trail in years. Well, God bless you for doing that because, right, that's rare. <laughs> Nobody likes doing that stuff, but you do. And so, like, yeah, let's let you do it. Because it's one thing to say, you know, I spent five, six hours out in the woods building this trail that you can see versus, you know, I sat for two hours in a in a council meeting so that I can talk for two minutes about mountain biking that may or may not have actually had an effect on the people listening. But that work is so important. And, I've, you know, I I don't want that work to get overlooked by by mountain bikers you know mm -hmm. it's one thing to not enjoy the experience of a trail but that trail may have been you know five years in the making and it took a lot of work for it to get there yeah and you know if if the demand for you know super big you know 20 foot gap rock garden type <laughs> gravity trails is there and there's a land manager willing to make it happen then still patience is going to have to be a thing that that we have to deal with right it's so, you know, those opportunities come, but there's a lot of work that, that, you know, that goes into it. Ask the, ask the guys in Chattanooga, you know, they're building Walden Ridge and it's a lot of gravity trail riding there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how long, how long has some of their other trails existed before that one ever was able to come online? Right. So it's, you know, demystifying mountain biking to the, to the folks who make decisions and, you know, just being capable people that understand not only what the constraints of the land is, but what the constraints of the, or, of the agencies and folks who actually make those decisions, you know, how can we be a resource to actually make things, thing, these things happen? And, you know, the more, the more collateral and clout that we build with the people who make decisions, then the more, the more willing they are to, to let you come up with those ideas that may push the envelope of what, of what mountain biking can be. Yeah. Yeah. So much of that, like you say, it's, it's about that long game and even just building a trail is, is a long time. And then like you're saying, a lot of it is even just a stepping stone. It's like, okay, we built this beginner trail and now we're able to demonstrate that we know what we're doing and the community appreciates this stuff. And oh, by the way, these kids now are older and they need more difficult trails. And so, yeah, a lot of it is strategic and I don't know. I, I personally, I get frustrated you know, when I hear criticism of, of what advocates are doing, 
Because to me, it feels like someone, like if I imagine someone coming in and telling me how to do my job, even though they've never done my job before, like <laughs> I would get, I would get pretty upset. You know, if I worked in a bike shop and a customer comes in and is like, no, that's not how you tune a derailleur. I'd be like, well, like, what do you know about tuning a derailleur? Like you're here at the shop. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll be willing to bet that if you, if you, if you posted two pictures on Instagram, one of them is uh, of a of a, of a meeting, a council meeting, and the other one of somebody riding a trail, the riding a trail picture would probably get uh, a lot more likes and right. comments on Instagram <laughs> than, uh, than, than the, uh, you know, than, than the meeting picture. So I, you know, I, I, I get the, the, the frustration on both sides. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, we, I think it's just an understanding of, from both sides of, of kind of what, what goes into it and what are, yeah you know, what, if, what each one of them goes through to get to what, you know, how they feel about uh, a particular trail or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And your whole, your marketing background and this, you know, focus, it seems from Emba of really taking on that role of being a resource and, and educating folks about how trails do get built and, and how there's a lot involved in it. And it's not as easy as just saying there should be a trail here and it should be really gnarly. And it's like, well, there's a lot of, steps in between here and there and so yeah i guess the more people understand that on, on page 125 of this u.s forest service land management plan it says <laughs> that we can't do that you know so the, who's gonna you know yeah. who's gonna go through the hundred and some odd page of a land management plan to figure that out you know somebody that's really dedicated to actually making it happen right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i'm an optimist too i like i i'm optimistic that if we can get all of us kind of pushing in the same direction you know, we can get a lot more accomplished um, rather than kind of bickering about like, oh, I don't like the trail that that we built last time or, you know, all these these little issues. If we could just kind of like come together on the big ones, I think we could be we'd be way more powerful. Oh, yeah. So what do you think? Is this a good time to be a mountain bike advocate? Seems like seems like this is kind of a good time that mountain biking is more mainstream. We're seeing land managers, people in roles of authority. uh are mountain bikers or they have kids who do it is is that kind of what you're seeing yeah um so one of the shifts that we've seen is you know it's not always mountain bikers and mountain biking organizations that come to us asking about you know trail development we just hired a community engagement coordinator who is really the point person for um you know parks and rec departments or tourism departments or you know whoever that contacts us and says hey we've got a piece of property that we want to build some trails on you know how do we make that happen and you know what's the process and what support can you all provide so we do see a lot more of that where the folks who are making the decisions are the ones who are initially reaching out uh and asking about uh what it takes to get a trail developed so that's a big shift. And that's why that's, that's a new position. I mean, it used to be the other way around where you were begging the land manager, can we please? They're like, nah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, a, a lot of times it, 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 that comes with educating the land manager on what, what they're getting into, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to say, Hey, we want some trails, but how, how are all the users using that trail system? And, you know, what type of land is it, you know, what are the constraints? So we really want to walk them through that process so that, you know, they're, so that, we can kind of manage what their expectations are. You know, they may say, well, we want a bunch of shared use trails. Well, if, you know, if you're going to have, if you're going to have a hundred thousand people on that trail system every year, then maybe all of them being shared use isn't the best option. You know, maybe you need to, uh, right. so we really walk them through the process of, you know, proper planning, proper, you know, design, proper construction, where, where professionals fit in, where volunteers fit in, and really kind of how you can make it, uh, you know, make it really about what, what the community needs and make it a community asset. But yeah, just the fact that, you know, trail use is up everywhere mm-hmm. and, and mountain biking is definitely becoming more popular. It, it, it is fairly nice time to be a mountain bike, not only a mountain biking advocate, but a mountain biker in general, you know, trails right. are opening up everywhere. Right. And, you know, we've, um, I think last year we planned, I just looked at this. I think we planned like almost 300 miles of trail Whoa. Uh, around the country. So it was, it was, uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of support for mountain biking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's, 
since there is support and interest in those folks to make those decisions, it's really up to mountain bikers and these advocacy organizations to really be knowledgeable and help guide these, uh, these agencies and folks who are interested in, you know, what are the trends in mountain biking? What exists in the community now? And, you know, what's needed? What are the gaps? So we're, we're always available to help out with those conversations and be part of those conversations to kind of help, uh, make sure that if you've got 200 miles of, of intermediate cross country trails in your greater community, we don't want another 10 miles of intermediate cross country trails, <laughs> you know, coming in. Right. So, you know, what are, you know, we want to, we want to help make sure that, that not only do those experiences exist, but they exist in a variety of ways to really serve as many people in the community as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's really strategic. And in addition to sort of, you know, the mainstreaming of mountain biking, I guess, for lack of a better term, are, are you seeing that like economic arguments are becoming more accepted? It seems like, you know, 10 years ago, the, the argument that like, Oh, if you have trails, it's going to bring tourism, um, wasn't, wasn't generally accepted. People were kind of skeptical of that. Has that changed at all in terms of the, the data that's out there now to support that? Well, I think economics, you know, they're always going to certainly, uh, play a role in the bottom line of, of, you know, of a community and, and what trails get developed and how quickly they get developed. But, you know, effective advocacy for those trails depends on the audience that you're talking to. Trails are, are good for everybody and you can meet anybody where they are when it comes to what their stance is on those trails. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they may be, they may be looking at trails as, you know, a quality of life component to their community. So create a great place to live and make a good biking community. And then people not only want to visit, but they may want to live there, you know, especially with, with the ability to, to work remotely nowadays, almost everybody's working remotely nowadays after, you know, after the pandemic. And so if you can live anywhere, why not live somewhere that's, that's fun and that you can ride right out your door again, you know, that has an economic bottom line to it. You're increasing your tax base, you know, for your community. Some place just want to, you know, they, they just want tourism. Uh, it could be, you know, the place that's generally known for tourism, you know, Snowshoe, West Virginia, for example, generally known for tourism because of the, uh, you know, because of the resort there. And so how do you keep, how do you get people to come there in the summertime when it's not ski season or, you know, snowboard season? And not only how do you get them to come there, how do you get them to continue to come back? How do you get them to stay for multiple days? So it's a very tourism, uh, you know, tourism based economy, but, you know, trails are good for helping protect undeveloped lands. They're, you know, they're great for a whole host of things. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, economics is a bottom line, not only what, what type of income and revenue can trails generate, but, uh, what is the, you know, what is the initial investment? What's the long-term investment in those trails? Mm -hmm. So not only do you have to figure out what they're going to cost or what, you know, what types of revenue can they generate, but you know, what's it going to cost to maintain a jump trail over the course of 10 years? Right. You know, and do you have the knowledge base in your community to, to maintain those on a volunteer basis or do you need a budget from an annual budget so that you can hire a contractor to come in and kind of help, you know, help with the, uh, help with maintenance on, you know, some of the more advanced trails that you have. So. Yeah, I think uh, money and economics is always going to be at the bottom line of it. It just, you know, it just depends on the audience. And, and right. you know, I, I think there's an argument for, for every level of, uh, of economics uh, for mountain biking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sound like a, a well-prepared high school debate team captain where you're <laughs> like, I've got my index cards. And like, got to think about who I'm talking to and what they're, you know, what's going to get them. Or maybe that's a salesman. You know, I mean, right. It is about like, what is, what is it that this community values and, you know, trails are, are going to be able to address that in a number of ways. So that's, that's great. So finally, I want to ask you, what's, what's next for Imba Local? What are you focusing on this year and, and in the future? Um, well, we're, you know, we're always working on ways to evolve the program, come up with new resources, um, new benefits, new tools. Um, but you know, immediately coming up, we've got, uh, we, we do a membership drive twice a year. So we do one in the spring and one in the fall. Uh, we have a membership drive coming up in May. It's going to run from, uh, May 1 to May 31st. So, um, I encourage everyone to join their local organization. 
uh, they'll be entered to win a number of a bunch of prizes that we've got uh, throughout the month. And you can find out who your local group is if you don't know on the EMBA website, right? Yep. You can, the, there's a link in the, uh, in the menu that says find my local group. You can choose your state and, uh, and find the group near you. So there's the membership drive in May. Uh, again, dig in. We're wrapping up, uh, the Q- quarter one campaign, uh, at the end of March. We have the application period for the next dig in campaign that runs, uh, Q3 this year. So it'll be from, uh, Q3, that's July 1 to September 30th. Mm-hmm. So the application period for that opens up in May. Uh, so any of the local organizations, leadership, uh, listening right now, be <laughs> sure to get that application in during the month. We are, uh, we're working on a new level of support for EMBA local, uh, that would better serve the higher functioning organizations. Uh, so that's sort of in the beginning stages at the moment, but you know, those organizations that have the, you know, the, the six figure budgets each year and, you know, thousand plus members, those types of organizations, you know, they just need a different level of support, uh, than a lot of the other groups. So, uh, we want to be able to, uh, to provide them with, uh, with resources that, that they can utilize as well. So, uh, working on, uh, a level for that. And also one of the big things that we just, uh, that we just, uh, worked back up is the, um, working with SORBA and the uh, Uniform Law Commission on um, recreational use statutes. So um, any anybody that's uh, leading an organization and has to pay for general liability insurance uh, sees those costs continue to go up. So uh, we're, we're hopefully uh, going to be able to put together some, uh, some legislative options for recreational use statutes that might alleviate the, um, uh, the pain at the pump for, for general liability insurance. So, we had a number of, of organizations that uh, signed on to a support letter about a year and a half ago uh, in support of universal or the Uniform Law Commission kind of taking this on. Um, so the pandemic kind of put it put them behind a little bit, but uh, but we're we're continuing to work on that, and uh, hopefully we see some some movement on that uh, in the next year or so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of, a lot of great stuff, um, that, yeah, should benefit mountain bikers for a long time. I mean, it's all about, seems like removing these roadblocks and just making it easier for the people to get, get work done. So, Anthony, thanks so much for joining me and for explaining Imba Local and for, yeah, all that you do to support our local clubs. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been, uh, it's been a good time, Jeff. Anytime you, you, you need anybody from Imba on, just, you know, always, we've got an open door. Feel free to reach out to us anytime. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, appreciate the time and, you know, given, given a voice to advocacy organizations and, you know, given a, a platform for, for folks like uh, me and Dave and Travis and, and everybody to kind of talk about what it is that we do and, and, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe shed some light on, uh, on the challenges that we all have as advocates and, and, you know, build uh bring more people under the under the uh under the mountain biking tent so definitely appreciate what you're doing for us yeah absolutely and so yeah one last plug you know if you're not part of your local mountain bike club or group or you're not supporting imba think about it feel convicted a little bit here like understand that there's a lot going on and that you can be a part of that and if you're not a hundred percent stoked with what your local club is doing that's okay nobody is you can still join, you can make your voice heard, and the best way to do that is to just sign up, you know, it's just a few bucks a month and and you can you can be a part of the solution. Well, that's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.